0: Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. I just want to take a moment and say um, that uh, if you're new here, uh, I had this little thing called cancer that showed up in my life, and um, we've been on this journey, Brenda and I have been, over the last uh, couple months, and this is my first Sunday back after being out three weeks, and it is, uh... <laughs> thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's a journey I wouldn't recommend, but it's, uh, it's been a positive experience overall, Uh, Let me tell you that many of you have been praying for us and we couldn't be more grateful. I remember early on in the diagnosis, I had several people that just uh, had words for me that came and prayed over me. And it turns out that uh, my surgery that I had was uh, performed by one of only two doctors in the entire world that do this surgery. And I have been reflecting on the, the incredible blessing of having you all pray for us, for me, and how the navigating of my journey uh, allowed for this doctor to be in front of me, to take care of me. And I'm just telling you, I I don't know. uh, We don't know if it's all out of me or not, uh, but we're gonna keep testing over the course of the next year, and uh, the doctors will keep a close eye on me. But I know that God's got us. No matter the circumstances, God is with us. He has created a way where we thought there was no way, and uh, he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. I also wanted to say a big, big thanks to uh, the staff team here at Restore and the way they stepped up and uh, just uh, nailed it. I'm, I'm so grateful for them. Can we thank them? Yeah. I want to say a special welcome to all of you guys online this morning. So glad you've joined us. Uh, we're in week number two of Family Vacation, Family Kit Vacation. What a trip! Yeah. Well, why are we doing this series? If you're a parent, you know why we're doing this series. Parenting is probably the most uh, difficult undertaking. That any of us ever decide to take. And if you are like Brenda and I, we felt woefully unprepared to parent. We didn't know what we were doing, right? So you figure it out along the way. Well, last week, uh, Brenda did a great job of introducing the series and uh, encouraged us to be as intentional all year long as we are for that two-week vacation during the summer. Like, All the things we do to prepare for that vacation during the summer, all the ways we're able to to feed into our kids for that vacation, that could be done all the rest of the year. She reminded us that of drawing from the story of Abraham in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, she reminded us that Genesis 22, which was the, uh, the living out of this faithful confidence that Abraham had, that would have never happened if it wouldn't have been for Genesis 12, where he believed the promise. He believed, and that faith was counted, on, counted to him as righteous. Brenda and I get to meet with a lot of you, and we do some one on one coaching with uh, couples and One of the things that we always love to be able to say to you, especially if you don 't come from a a faith experience your your journey up to this point has not been one you didn 't grow up in a in a family that that uh, went to church maybe, or that had a a deep faith that was worked out daily, we love to tell you that you are changing the trajectory of your family's life. You're changing the trajectory, because generations following you, if you are faithful, if you raise up your children in the ways of Jesus, the generations after you are going to be able to look back to you and say, that's where it all changed that's where it all changed and that's no small thing to consider so in preparation for this series I shout out a couple text messages to uh, young couples who are by the way do you know we're having a COVID baby boom around here well we are we are and so some of those couples got a uh, text message from me to say hey what are you thinking about being a parent what do you what's in your what are you worrying about? What are you afraid of? What are you sure of? They were mostly unsure. <laughs> They're mostly unsure. And I got some great feedback. Great feedback. So, listen up. Here's, here's one of the things that was said. How do I teach my child to love the Lord? How do I teach them to accept Jesus into their life? How do how do I show my kids Jesus without pushing them too hard or making them not interested or having them react to whatever pressure I put on them. Well, last week, Brenda pointed to this and faith is passed on, right? I I don't know, those of you that are already parents, I don't know like what you would say to this. But I wanna say that Just because you bring them to church on Sunday morning. Raising them in church does not automatically translate to raising them in Christ. Raising them in church doesn't automatically translate to raising them in Christ. There is an experiential uh, scenario that has to happen within the home too. It can't just be your student leader, it can't just be your kids' director, it can't just be your pastor. Those are all great elements. You are the most influential people. So if you're, if you're thinking about, well, how do I keep them from being pressured? You know what? You must have an experience with Jesus first if you expect to translate that relationship into something that is doable in your kid's life. Question number 2 how do you how do you te- how do i teach them how to build good and healthy relationships the answer is build great relationships right build great relationships i want to read to you what paul says to the corinthians in 2 corinthians 12 20 to 21 he says for i am afraid he's writing to this church in corinth that kept having all kinds of issues but he, he says, for I am afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find. You won't like my response. I am afraid that I will find quarreling and jealousy and anger and selfishness and slander, gossip, arrogance, disorderly behavior. Yes, I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, your sexual immorality and eagerness for lustful pleasure. All right, there we go. That's a list, right? Here's what he's saying. If you don't want this in your family's life, start by avoiding these things in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, and 21. Don't let your kids hear you gossip. Don't let your kids hear you slander other people. Do the things you know to be right, and you don't have to worry so much about how to teach your kids great how to build great relationships, because you've already taught them. I shouldn't say this, right? More is taught, or more is caught than taught, right? That's an old, old cliche that actually is true. You think you can say all these things? My child needs to do this, this, and this? Okay, you teach them to do that, that this, this, and this, but if you don't actually do them, they ain't doing them either. Show them by example. And by the way, in July and August, you could join a dinner party. That'd be a great place to start some relationships, right? Heads up for that. Number three, when do I let them start making decisions for themselves? When you see they're ready. And by the way, just because your son is capable of handling a phone, maybe at 13, doesn't mean your daughter is. So don't worry about saying, oh, if I did it for him, I gotta do it for her. No, you go by the individual. You see your kids, and you know when they're capable of taking the next step, and don't allow them to sway you because you allowed one child to do it at a certain age and another child at a different age. That's a nugget of truth. Number four, honesty, uh, ha- Number four is how to love them well. I fear I'll miss the calling in their life and misdirect them. I fear I'll cause them trauma. I fear they'll grow up and choose to not follow the Lord. I'm afraid I'm gonna screw them up. (laughs) That's honesty right there. Look, trial and error. You're never gonna get it all right. What was consistent in so many of the responses I get was I fear, I fear, I fear, I fear. Let me tell you, it is good to be clear about what you're not sure about. It is good to be clear about what you're not sure sure about. But fear doesn't have to follow you around in that. As followers of Jesus, we stand in the presence of Almighty God. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Fear is not, fear is not of God. And so, to be hyper vigilant, to be aware, this is all good, but don't be afraid of what's coming. Stand in the security of knowing that God is with you. And if you get it wrong, apologize. Apology is a powerful thing with your kids. Oh, but I can't show my weakness. Yes, you can. It's necessary and good for you to say, I didn't get it right. I didn't get it right. Can you forgive me? I, I intend to do better. Would you help me with this? What if you have a kid who is super, here's another fear. If we have a kid who is super rebellious and I don't know what to say or do. Yep, none of us do. None of us do. What they need to know is that no matter what they do, you are their parent, you love them, you will not. You know, your heavenly father says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Your child has to know that you will never leave them. You will never forsake them, no matter what they do. They can turn their back on everything that is good, right, and true. You will stand by them. You won't, you won't maybe approve of their actions, but you approve of them as their personhood. You approve of them. You love them unconditionally. This is what's needed to raise a child that will look you square in the face and say, I love you, I love you, thank you. You are the parent that I needed in my life. (laughs) If you have little kids, that's a dream, right? (laughs) It ain't ever gonna happen. (laughs) It will, it will. It will. So how do you build spiritual disciplines, prayer and Bible reading into the family rhythm when it's always so busy? You start. Start. I'm not trying to be, give you all kinds of pat answers here. But the truth is, if you want something to be different, then you start doing something different. You cannot keep doing the same things you've always done and expect to get different results. Start. Start in your own life. If you want to make room for it in your family life, make room for it in your personal life and see how it will translate to your children. Finally, and this leads us into this morning because it's the title slide is because I said so. That's the title of our message this morning. And most of the time when I was growing up, it was because I said so to my challenge of why, why, why? That doesn't make sense, why should I do it? So here's, here's, a, here's a, the one that I wanna lead into. Right now, we, are, we aren't really sure what discipline should look like. Our child is getting to the point where they're not obeying. Is she old enough to comprehend? Uh, she's about two years old. Let me tell you something, terrible twos? Don't have to be terrible twos. Just like, oh, you just wait till they get to middle school. Doesn't have to be, oh, you just wait till they get to middle school. None of that needs to be true. It is how you think about it that will make the difference. Now, I'm not suggesting that two-year-olds aren't little hellions around the house. I'm not saying that. They're very difficult sometimes. Middle schoolers, they're out of their minds. We all know this. That doesn't mean it has to be an awful experience. It means that you prepare yourself, that you're spiritually grounded for the fight ahead. It ain't easy, trust me. It's not easy. But nothing nothing about parenting is particularly smooth sailing all the time. Brenda and I have learned that good parenting only happens when we commit to being lifelong learners. It never stops. Our kids are having kids. We are now at a different place in how we parent, but we still parent. It's just in a different way. When we were young married and Cody was a baby, and uh, actually when he hit his twos, I think it was about at that point when Brenda started buying every book available on how to raise a kid. And she would put book after book in front of me, and I was a busy dad, right? And so I just said, you just tell me what you're learning because I don't have time to read all these books. I was real, so, so she learned, did a lot of learning, she passed them on to me, but I was still relying on how I was raised, how my parents did it. We had different parenting styles, and so we struggled sometimes to get on the same page because I was from the generation that was told, because I said so. That's the only thing you need to know, is I'm the parent, and I said so, and that settles it. So I tried that. (laughs) With uh, minor successes here and there. Cody grew up to be a uh, middle school attorney that loved to ask that why question and debate to the point where I would leave the room and uh, just let him and Brenda debate. He and Brenda, they enjoyed that debate time. Uh, for some reason, I couldn't handle it because I was still on because I said so. <laughs> That's where I was. <laughs> Do you ever find that, that you opened your mouth when your kid is acting up, you open your mouth and your mom's words all just come tumbling out? Yeah, for real. This is so true. Cody would look at me. Sorry, Cody, I'm really picking on you this morning. Uh, Cody would look at me when he was a little kid, and I, would, I had the stare, I had the, the dad glare down really good. I'm like. Like that. And he would go, Dad. He was manipulative a little booger too. He's like, Dad, those eyes, they scare me. My dad had a glare. My dad had a glare. And we also sat on hard benches for church. And when I was sitting with him, um, he had a strong thumbnail. And I don't know, Dad, you can try this if you want. I don't know. It's, but you, you, you worked hard not to yelp when you were messing around and his thumbnail came down on the loose skin on your leg and pressed it down into the bench. It was very obscure punishment, but it worked. It got my attention. All right, those are the questions that came in this week. So let's turn now to the, to the Bible. To, uh, let, me, let me do this first. I want to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter uh, 6. So here's the deal. Moses got the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. And he communicated those 10 commandments to the children of Israel. And here's what he says in the first four uh, verses of chapter six. He says, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all these decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Do you hear that? If. So there are conditions to enjoying the blessing of God. You can't just do whatever you willy-nilly want and expect to experience the blessing and presence of Jesus. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Listen closely, restore, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. So this is what has been communicated to the children of Israel as they uh, receive those 10 commandments. And this tribal people is figuring out that God Almighty is for them, but God Almighty has some requirements for them for right living. Now we jump to Hebrews 12, verse five. And here's what the Hebrew writer says. He says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? My children, here is, again, here's the now from Deuteronomy 6. He's quoting it in Hebrews. He says, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Verse seven, as you endure this divine Discipline. Remember that God is treating you as His own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Discipline here uh, points to suffering that teaches us something. Discipline points to something, or to suffering that teaches us something. And by the way, let me just say just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you are being disciplined. Let's be really clear about that. You can't look at a person's situation and go, I wonder what they did. He got cancer, wonder what he did. Ask Jesus what he would have you learn through the times of suffering. And if there are correction points, if, you, if there is sin in your life, get it fixed, get it taken care of, repent. But don't assume that just because there is suffering that you are in discipline. But if God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and illegitimate, not really his children at all. Since we have respected our earthly fathers, let me say something about that. Earthly fathers discipline respectfully and not with resentment. And then you will get respect and you won't get resentment. It can't just be. Again, it, what a great responsibility we have to bring up our children, to raise them in the knowledge of God, in the knowledge of how to have good relationships, in the knowledge of how to how to step into relationship with Jesus, so discipline in a way that is going to raise respect and diminish resentment uh, uh, shouldn 't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever now in the ancient world, it was a, a universally accepted uh, Truth in that era that uh, children were to be disciplined. The Roman father would possess absolute authority. When a child was born, he could even decide whether it would live or die. And throughout its life, he could punish it as he chose. Discipline was to be expected in that ancient world. Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. I love that the writer put in here, doing the best that they knew how. That allows me to make mistakes. If I do it the best I know how, there's a reality there that I am going to make mistakes along the way. Life-long learners learn from their mistakes. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. The word holiness here points to God's holy character. And the aim of his, um, of his chastisement of his people is to produce in them a character like our own. So again, we model a right character in front of our kids We discipline them to bring them into course correction. Our Heavenly Father does the same thing. He brings us course correction through discipline. Let me get their attention. What do you do to get your kids' attention? Yeah, God does a similar thing to us. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. Why on earth would we diminish the need for discipline in our children's lives, when we don't hesitate to get them into front of a coach and give them sports training, but we wanna step back and say, "Eh, I want my kids to like me. They'll love you if you discipline them. They may not like you for the moment. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. But just like we get them into athletic training, We've got to give them human and spiritual training as well. Verse 12 and 13 won't be up there, but I want to nod to these. So take a new grip, it says, with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Strengthen those hands and legs that for some reason are out of action. We become spiritually paralyzed. So we get things right and we get moving. We strengthen those things that are weak. We mark out a straight path, verse 13 says, we mark out a straight path for your feet. So that means that if our, if our feet are all wonky and we're not going the right direction and we don't know what journey we're on or we don't know what path to, to walk down, it means we straighten them out. We have self-discipline ourselves so that we can represent self-discipline to our children. We get ourselves right so that those who are weak and lame will not fall and become strong. The idea here is to create a path of life that will get us into better shape in order to influence those that come after us, in order to influence and help those that are lame, that are disabled. And I don't mean physically. I mean those that are lame and disabled in their life that don't have a straight path to walk on right now. We, the followers of Jesus... We must be those that point them in the right direction. So discipline. It goes, without, uh, it goes against what our conventional desire leans to. No discipline is enjoyable. But if we make it a learning experience as parents, then, then it is for uh, our good and God's glory. All of it our good in God's glory, if we live disciplined lives and if we are able to translate that into our, our, making it doable for our kids as well. And by the way, parents, if you don't discipline your kids, you better hope somebody else does because this will make or break them long-term. If they don't learn now, when they're young, someone else will come along, a coach, a boss, You name it, there will be people that will come along and they'll provide the discipline, but it won't be as pleasant and as loving as what you can provide. So it's better for you to do it now. Save them a lot of heartache in the future. So one of the books I read while I was uh, away was a book by uh, Calvin Miller, author Calvin Miller. He writes the book, Life is Mostly Edges. It's an incredible book. I would highly recommend it. He gives us a (laughs) five-fold... Five-fold code of survival. He says he and his wife developed this five-fold code of survival. Here they are. The first one, discipline. Discipline. Different kids require different techniques. So if your child responds to timeouts, then use timeouts. But another kid that you have might not respond to timeouts at all may need something entirely different. Maybe you just need to reason with them. Maybe they're young enough and and in their young age, you can actually reason with them, talk to them, help them. If they're old enough, um, this is my mom's mantra, if they're old enough to talk back, they're old enough to feel some consequences. Yes, I talked back. On the subject of spanking, psychologists are divided on the matter. Don't spank them while you're angry, right? I mean, some Christian psychologists actually recommend praying first before you spank. Calvin Miller says, the few times I asked God if I should wait or do it now, he said, you've gotta be kidding. So for me, the best time was to gather what self-control I could and go ahead and do it while God concurred. When should you stop spanking? Cody's 30 and last week someone asked him when he stopped getting spanked and he said Thursday. Number two, expectations. Create family values. Here's a great one. Like, if you don't have any kids yet, now's a good time to start. Like, create family values. These are the top three things that we're really gonna be focused on as a family. They'll change once you have kids, somewhat. But the values that you start now will translate into all of your family thought processes and experiences. And then it's important to communicate. Communicate. Keep communicating those expectations. So expectations is the second one. Uh, Calvin says he and his wife would have a weekly meeting to plan the method of survival for the following week. They would discuss levels of tolerance and minimum and maximum penalties for juvenile delinquency within the family. I would remind you that Jews have always had a relatively low rate of juvenile delinquency. Let me read you um, Deuteronomy Chapter 21, Uh, this is really good. Chapter 21, 18 to 21. Uh, Suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or mother even though they discipline him. In such a case, the father and mother must take the son to the elders as they hold court at the town gate. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of this town must stone him to death. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. There is something about this kind of thing that discourages juvenile delinquency, doesn't it? It takes a lot of parental planning to keep our kids off the scrap heap of life. If you wanna keep them off the scrap heap of life, be on the same page. Know what your values are. Be on the same page. Don't allow the little, the little kids to pit you against each other. At a very young age, they know that mom will let them do one thing and dad will let them do the other thing, but if I ask mom first and she says no, then I know I still have an out with dad. I don't know how they figure it out, but they do. Be consistent in your responses. Be consistent in your discipline. Number three, freedom. Give it as they can handle it. Don't give it all at once. I grew up in a community where uh, at the age of 16, I got freedom, I wasn't ready for it. A whole bunch of trouble came out of that. Don't give them all the freedom at once, give it to them as they they can handle it. And remember, remember, you are the parents. I see parents making decisions, allowing their kids to make decisions at an age where they have no clue what the repercussions will be of that decision. But the parents wanna be liked. I just want my kid to be liked by, I want to be liked by my kid. You want them to like you or do you want to have a relationship with them long-term and to love you? On the subject of freedom, Calvin says, if a child wants to run away from home, help the child pack. Tell them they're free to run as far as they want. They'll have to walk or call the Uber and pay for it themselves, but you won't provide transportation for the runaway. He says his Tim, his son Tim ran away at 16 and they encouraged him to go and helped him pack, but wouldn't you know it, he was back by supper time, spoiling their dinner plans at a nice restaurant while he was out of town. Number four, caution. Never say never. When I have kids, they're not gonna do this. I don't think my brother-in-law and his wife would mind me saying that when Cody and Morgan were little, they didn't have kids, And they might have said a time or two, or thought it. Our kids are not gonna do that. Guess what? Their kids did that. Try to keep your kids from being vehement about their future. When your kids experience and observe hard things in your life, help them think through it so that they don't say things like Calvin's daughter, Melanie said, because Calvin was also a pastor And she said, after a particularly hard business meeting at church, she said, why did you marry a pastor? And Calvin's wife said, because I loved him. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I will never, never, never marry a preacher. We just shook our heads, he says. She had taken too strong a stand, and in the fullness of time, she married the first preacher who asked her to marry her, never even gave the second one a chance. Try to keep them from saying, I will never Challenge that when you hear it. Number five, expecting the unexpected. Here's here's the last one of these uh, these codes. Expecting the unexpected. Look, you can take this with a grain of salt. You can believe it or not. But anything you think your kids might do, they won't. This final code is the hardest to practice because it feeds totally on superstition and innuendo. It disproves Murphy's law, and I don't believe in Murphy's law. In fact. With kids, if I I can think about what they might do wrong, it probably won't happen. So I had uncles on both sides of the family that smoked cigarettes. So it was always very clear, based on uh, my mom's opinion, that smoking cigarettes was almost almost bad enough to send you to hell. So when my second cousin, Glenn, stole some cigarettes from his older brother and uh, we were at a family reunion and he said, hey, let's go back to the creek. I got something. I probably was 11 or 12, somewhere in there. I didn't wanna go to hell. So I didn't smoke a cigarette that day. I just waited till 15 to see if I'd go to hell by smoking a cigarette. If you think about it, they might not do it. I wish my parents would have thought or imagined that their oldest son would do drugs and abuse alcohol. Because if this mantra is true, maybe I wouldn't have. Imagine all the things they might do. See, the way this works is that if you imagine all the things they might do, you'll be vigilant about those things and communicate to them about those things. Think of every wild thing they could possibly do. And you might spare them and yourself from doing the bizarre thing that we're all as parents too dull to imagine. Look, our role in their life will shift with time, and I'm gonna talk about more about that next week. But with this matter of discipline, when we neglect to provide it, listen up, parents. When we neglect to provide the discipline that we have been charged with. We shirk the responsibilities uh, granted to us as parents, and that will lead to all manner of problems within our family units. Calvin is also, this Calvin Miller, the author that I've been quoting, he is also a poet. I'm gonna share this poem in conclusion. He had two kids. They both left at the same time. They were both grown and out the door at the same time. This is the premise from which he writes this. They left us both at once, became as one, the age for leaving, and yet didn't they seem young. We woke them from their naps to run, and they leapt decades on a summer day. They hurried off with luggage, nothing more. Were his shoes tied? Did he forget his lunch? And did her ribbons match her pinafore? And dare we draw the noisy lock and chain to seal ourselves in these empty rooms? Can our, gosh, can our door watching bring them home again? This lonely night, we have our debts all paid and given life to this young woman and man. Stand with me. Father, we, uh, we know that in this moment, uh, we've heard some hard truths. As I prepped for this, I heard some hard truths. This is a good word, God, that you've given us this morning, a good word for, for parents and those that are about to be parents Let us not be discouraged and weary in in our journey. But let us be energized. God, energize us today again to bring truth and discipline and grace and mercy all wrapped up together into our children's lives. God, we thank you. We thank you for the tremendous blessing and the gift it is to be parents. And even as I pray that, I know there are people in this room this morning, there are people online that are longing to step into that role of a parent, to be a parent. And I just wanna pray blessing over them this morning too, that their deepest needs would be fulfilled and that their, the joy that... Uh, that that is of your presence in their lives. We just continue to speak into them. God, we thank you. We thank you and we bless your name. And all God's people said, amen. This morning, if you'd like prayer, uh, we have a prayer team members back in front of the tech booth. Uh, Please, uh, especially if you're a parent this morning, or if you want to be a parent, perhaps there's just a prayer that could be, placed over you, spoken over you that would uh, that would help you on your journey. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.